Greetings to all of God's people. This is Mordecai Joseph. We are now in Lesson 81. Last time we were in John, and we read verse 32, which we'll read it again now, where he was discussing a matter with his disciples, disciples who believed in him, and apparently, even though they had believed in him, they still had a problem, as many do today, as many have had in the past 2,000 years. And so in verse 32, he told them, to those who believe in him, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And they took an exception to that by telling him that we are Abraham's descendants. We were never in slavery. We were never in bondage. And of course, he's speaking about spiritual bondage. And for them to even say that they were not in bondage is foolishness because they were under Rome. But the carnality that was in them, though they believed in him, came out. And too many of us, sometimes, when we're not careful, when things go wrong, when things we do not understand, the first thing that comes out is carnality. We accuse God, we're angry with God, and so forth. We're angry with people. Instead of, in the spirit of humility, just listen to what is being said and see if it applies to us and repent if we need to. Never to be, never be too arrogant to think that if somebody corrects us, there is something wrong with him. And that's in essence what they thought about Christ. You are the Christ, we believe in you, but how dare you criticize us and tell us that we are in bondage. Verse 34, Jesus answered them most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And that's the, the essence of what he was talking about, spiritual slavery, which is much worse than a physical one. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. And obviously, he's talking about the fact that you being the children of the kingdom, you are the children of Abraham, yes. This land belongs to you because I gave it to you. I gave it to Abraham and to his descendants. But that's a physical thing. If you want to have the eternal house, so to speak, an eternal life, you're going to have to do a little bit more than what you are doing now. And that is, be free, free from sin, free from carnality, free from transgression, free from disobedience to the law of God. And they did not like that. And so he told them in verse 36, Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me. Imagine that, people who believed in him, Children of the wife, of his own people, of his own nation. I mean, many times in the past when they were in the wilderness, they wanted to kill Moses. And probably if they could see God walking around, they would have been so angry they would have uh, wanted to kill him too. That was a spirit that was in them from the beginning of time. And that's the spirit of carnality. And so here it is, when he walks in their midst, of course they don't recognize him for what he really is, even though they believe in him. But they don't believe in him necessarily as being the God of Israel, as being really the Son of God, the Son of the Father, which means that he too is a deity, even though now he's in the flesh. Their faith was in the miracles that he performed, that he's a prophet. After all, many of them in the time past believed in prophets, but they killed him anyway when they said something they didn't like. And so this is what he told them. He told them at this point. And one has to wonder... Had it been today, 
If you wasn't our meat, and if you told us things that we don't like, would we have the same attitude as these people are? They believed in him, yet their attitude was still, if you don't say what we like, we're going to get rid of you. Verse 37, I know that you are Abraham's descendants, he told them, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. And that's where the problem is. In verse 49, let's continue there. We do not, I do not need to cover every single detail here. But basically, just to cover certain aspects of the wife of God. Even though she is the wife of God, even though she knew God, even though she heard God in Sinai, you can still see the attitude in spite of that. And today, unfortunately, as we were in the past 2,000 years, even though we are the people of God, even though the Spirit of God is in some of us, not in all of us, many of us are tares, and I have to be mindful of that, many of us are still more carnal than spiritual, as Paul would tell the Corinthians, aren't you carnal? Look at the way you are behaving. You are having strife. You take people to court. And people are doing it today also. And even leaders want to take each other to court. And Paul would tell them, aren't you carnal? People like that. Had Jesus Christ been in their midst and rebuked them sharply, they would have wanted to kill him. Let's not kid ourselves. And so, in verse 49, he tells them, I do not have a demon because they accused him of having a demon. Well, they believe in him and now they accuse him of having a demon. That's how far a carnal mind will go. I do not have a demon. I honor my father and you dishonor me. And the reality is that every time that we do evil, that we commit sin, that we commit transgression, that we despise the law of God, that we despise his word, that we despise his Torah, we dishonor him. And when he comes and corrects and rebukes, not necessarily in person, but through others, we hate those people. And we don't realize that when we hate the word of truth, we hate God. And yet, in spite of all that, God never rejected his people Israel. God never rejected his wife. God never rejected his nation. God died for them. He gave his life for them. He atoned for them. And they would always be his people. And so, as we go through all that, we should realize that God, yes, is recording the good and the bad and the ugly about his wife. And we should read the whole story, not just only the ugly, and say, aha, he rejected them, and that's it. They're gone. And he chose us. It doesn't work like that. That's the way it works within the family. A father may be extremely angry at his children for doing certain things. That doesn't mean he's going to throw them out of the house, even though emotionally, and sometimes you feel like doing it. And so let's understand it from God's point of view, and that's exactly what happened to the false brethren that came within the church. They read all these things, they looked at these things, and they said, well, these people are so evil, God just threw them out, and we are the good people, and God chose us. And yet, they did not look at their own wickedness, as God saw it, and made the right conclusions. And Jesus Christ made it very plain, even with his own church, as he 
recorded many of the sins of his own church, like in, you read in uh, Revelation 2 and 3, where he condemns many of the evils that his own people were committing. And you can imagine if in person people came to them in the name of God and told them the same things, they would have hated them. At least some of them, not all of them. Let's continue now with uh, chapter 9. And in chapter 9 we read in verse 3, where Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sin, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. Speaking about the man that was blind from birth. And he said in verse 4, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And the world that he's talking about is his own people. Sometimes when you read certain words, you think in modern terminology and you misunderstand it. And yet it is an idiom that he's using here. And we have to understand the terminology that people use in the Middle East, which is different than that which is in modern life, in technical life, where everything is detailed and specific. And so when you read the world, you think the whole world. And when, so when you read the statement of Jesus Christ to his disciples, go you into all the world, we think the whole world, and we don't realize the terminology and what it means, the idiom that it is. Because he told them specifically, you go to the Lordship of the house of Israel, and wherever they are, that's the world. And then later on we read about the Apostle Paul. This is the man that turns the whole world upside down. Well, they weren't talking about China and India and all the other countries, which is the majority of the earth. Uh, we're talking about their locale, about their area, about uh, parts of the Roman Empire that they were familiar with. And that's what he's saying here. And he was sent to do the work of God. And God sent him to his own people, and he came to his own. And he's speaking about his own wife, and that's what the world is all about. And so when he gives a parable about the sower that went into the field and you know, went sowing a good seed, and some fell here and some fell there, then when he gave them the explanation of it, he told them that that field was the world. And what was he talking about? He's talking about his own people, but he's using the terminology of the world. So when we understand that, if we have the background, we have a better understanding of what we are reading, because many people do not understand it properly. And we must grow in grace and knowledge and understanding. Otherwise, we read a lot of things and create doctrines, and we invent truth, and then we worship God with that misconception. And it's not worshiping God in truth and in spirit, but our own concepts and our own ideas and our own understanding and our own theology. That's the reason why we have so much confusion in our midst. We must be learned, not unlearned, as we approach the Word of God. Let's go to chapter 14, verse 24, where Christ continues to speak to his wife. Always remember, whatever you're reading here, in the writings of the disciples, you're reading about the husband speaking to his own wife. The marriage is still on, and there is no divorce there, and it's not somebody out of the blue coming and speaking to some people who are rebel rousers. We're talking about a family relationship here, a marriage, a husband and wife, conversations. And sometimes they're pleasant and sometimes they're very tense. And yet, God still, throughout all this experience, loves his people to the end. So in, verse, in chapter 14, verse 24, we read, 
the words of, of the husband of Israel, he who does not love me does not keep my words. What are the words that he's speaking about? What is the word that he said the Father gave him to speak? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Father is the same. Whatever truth he gave to his people in the past, it's still the same. That's the word. He did not come to invent a new religion and come up with a new set of doctrines and rules and principles and values and ethics. The word of God stands forever. And the Torah, as it was constantly called, is the same. This yesterday, today, and forever. And too many people have hatred against it. They claim to be the people of God. They even have the Holy Spirit in many cases. And yet because of the background out of which they came, they developed hatred against the Word of God, which they think that's old stuff, Old Testament, the Torah. We don't want to hear about it. Well, people like that are not different than the people who believed in Christ, and yet when he told them things they didn't like, they wanted to kill him. And so he says, He who does not love me does not keep my words. And that's where the problem is, where people today are are saying, I don't need to keep the Sabbath, I'm spiritual. Well, they don't love Jesus Christ. People will say, well, it's okay if I eat unclean meat. You know, I'm spiritual. People like that don't love Christ, and their religion is vain, and their theology is vain, and their path of life is vain, and it's all in vain that they worship God. God doesn't even accept it. He's not even listening to their words. People who don't listen to the words of God, why should you listen to their words? And so that's what he told his wife. If you don't don't love me, you obviously are not going to keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the fathers who sent me. In other words, I'm not the founder of Christianity. In letter on terminology, I didn't come to invent a new religion. So why do people, even today, who call themselves the people of God, say we are members of Christianity, we're Christians? or followers of this religion of Christianity, but realizing that there are a lot of lies there, they say, well, you know, we are the true Christians, and we're the true members of Christianity, and we have the authentic Christianity, and all that stuff. Why do we need to go to Babylon in order to worship God, to learn of their ways, to learn of their terminologies? Why do we have a resentment against the terminology that God himself gave to it? That he gave to his own people, and he never changed. Even after his resurrection, he still called it by, the, by those names that he did in the past. The Torah, the prophets, and the Psalms, or the writings. That tells you an awful lot about where we still are. And so this is what he said. Whatever I'm speaking, that's not mine. I'm not the inventor of a religion. I'm not the founder of a new religion. And there shouldn't be any group of people calling themselves by a new religion. Apart apart from the religion that I already gave in Sinai. That's the reason why I told these people at the end time through Malachi. You better remember the Torah of my servant Moses, which I gave him in Sinai, or else. You see? It's not saying you better remember my Christianity, the new religion that I gave you. And that tells you when people think like that, where they still are. Where do they drink their waters from? It's not from God. And so he says these things I have spoken to you while being present 
with you. And we should have remembered that because soon after he was resurrected, more people were being added, more tares were being thrown into the pile by Satan the devil, more false brethren were coming in, and whatever he spoke in person of the Torah, magnifying it, all the prophets magnifying it, became something totally different, and to this very day it is something totally different, and when we come out of it, only by reading the Word of God we are all going to be able to be totally washed from the filthiness in which we still are, the Babylon in which we still are, and that's the reason why with all the knowledge that we have, we don't even know the basic who and what is the true Church of God. And so we continue now in, uh, well actually let's go back to uh, scriptures that are also meaningful in terms of the wife of Israel and the husband, the God of Israel. In chapter 10, I had it in my, in my notes here but I skipped forward and anyway we're going to continue uh, according to the order that we, we have here in chapter 10 in confronting his own people. And speaking to his own wife, this is a husband-wife conversation, and it's not too pleasant at this point, it's getting hotter and hotter, because of carnality on the part of the wife, members of the nation of God, or the people of God, and so he tells him in chapter 7, actually chapter 10 and verse 7, we read, uh, then Jesus said to them, speaking to his own people, uh, again, most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. And you are the sheep, and I am the door, as he has always been, their God, the Savior, the Maker, the Ruler, the Deliverer, the Husband. And all who ever come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. And that's how he regards, unfortunately, the spiritual leaders of Israel, that thieves and robbers. And we're speaking about the majority of them, because the minority were not obviously that way, the minority were faithful. The major prophets and the minor prophets and saints of God were not that way, but the majority of the spiritual leaders, wherever you read about Elijah or Elisha or any of the major prophets, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, any one of them, Isaiah, you always read it in the context of many other false prophets. In other words, the majority of the spiritual leaders of Israel were always false prophets, were always thieves and robbers. And to this very day, they are still the same. Well, there are only very precious few of them who are genuine. Well, like Timothy, who by nature care for the brethren, not seeking their own, but the things which are of Christ. And all of us have experienced that to one degree or the other. And that's what he's saying here to his own wife, that many of your own spiritual leaders, that's what they were, thieves and robbers. And the genuine sheep didn't hear them. And those today who are constantly following the, you know, the false prophets of, of today, the spiritual leaders who are thieves and robbers, they are not necessarily of Christ. That's why they, do, they follow them. Because he's making very plain. The genuine sheep of God are the children of Israel who do know God, who love God. They know the difference between the true shepherd and the false shepherd. And they don't follow them. And so he says, I am the door in verse 9. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved ultimately speaking, obviously, and will go in and out and find pasture. 
because he's going to look to me for truth and not to the words of men. And whatever man speaks, if it is not in accordance with the word of God, he's not going to listen to. Verse 10, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. And he's speaking about the spiritual leaders. Yes, he's using a physical analogy of the thief, but he's speaking about the spiritual leaders. Their ultimate intent is money, power, authority, covetousness, seeking their own. They want a high office. And they want to put down everybody else. And make everybody guilty if they don't give them money. So that's their attitude. This is where they are coming from. But he says, I have come that they may have life. Not to take away, away from them life and their possessions. I came to give them. Not to take away from them. He says, I, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. And it's because the true shepherds of Israel who followed God and recorded his words and taught it that they were being persecuted for it. And it's true also that the majority of them who were not of God, but they were, she, you know, they were shepherds that came to rob and steal and kill and destroy, they led people, the people of God astray, the wife astray. And that's why to this very day, the majority of the people of God, so they have a measure of good knowledge and understanding, because Satan always appears as an angel of light, as a minister of righteousness, and so are his ministers. He gives a lot of good things too. He knows he's clever. Can't lie all the time. People, you know, find you very quickly. And so because of that, the people of God to this very day, the majority of them are still in ignorance. They don't even know who and what is the church. They've been taught the lie that has been taught for the past 2,000 years. And they've swallowed that. They came out of it. It feels reasonable to them. And they believe in it. And how many of these sheep of God are going to hear the voice of God? Not the words of man, but the voice of God through all the scriptures. How many of them, like the Bereans, will sit down and say, Okay, let's prove whether these things be so. Not the first thing is argue and hate and resent and want to kill someone or destroy. As the carnal among us would do. And that's what God is telling us. That's what he's telling his wife. If you are truly my sheep, you will have abundant life because you are going to follow the truth. In verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep. Some people think that they own the, the church. They say, you know, this is my church. And somebody else says, well, this is my church. These are my followers. Now, I don't want you to read anybody else's literature. You're mine. I might as well say, you know, we're the wolves, we're the thieves, we're the robbers. And we want you only to ourselves. And we're after your possessions, and after your power, and after prestige. At least, they would be honest that way. And so he says, the hireling, that's what they are. He who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. And so he makes it very plain. In verse 14, I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and am known by my own. And these people, he says, who are his sheep, are not going to follow somebody else. And so he's speaking to the sheep of Israel, to his own people, to his own wife. 
And through the prophets, he made it very plain. Who is the shepherd and who is the flock? And so he continues by saying, As the Father knows me, in verse 15, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, and other sheep I have which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice. And he's speaking specifically about all the other children of Israel that were scattered abroad. The majority of the people of Judah who were in Babylon and other places, and, uh, and, uh, and all the tribes of Israel. All are his sheep. This other sheep he's talking about, his own wife, his own people, and of course, others of the nations that God is going to call, but it's generally a minority of them, few of them. And verse 17, Therefore my Father loves me because I laid down my life that I may take it again. And so forth. And so he made it very plain. And so let's go now to uh, verse 31, where the story continues between the shepherd and his flock and his sheep, the husband and his wife. And unfortunately, uh, most of the members of his wife are not what they should be. In verse 31 he says, uh, well, we read about verse 31, after they heard all those things which they didn't like, and these are people, mind you, that believed in him. And uh, how many of us claim the same? We're Christians, we believe, and yet Christians go out there and kill and maim and destroy and afflict and oppress. And there is hatred in our midst and confusion and war uh, in our midst. And people speak evil against each other. Well, we are behaving just the same. Many of us, anyway. Uh, in verse 32, we read, Jesus answered, Then many good works I have shown you from my Father, because they wanted to stone him. For which of those works do you stone me? And the Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we do not stone you, but the blasphemy, and because you being a man, which he was, flesh and blood, he wasn't a spirit being. He wasn't a divine person. He was flesh and blood. He took the nature of man. If you are taking the nature of man, what are you but man? He was a man. He was not God at this point. Because to be God means you are divine. You are spirit. God is spirit. Obviously, he was a man. But he came from God because he was God. He was a deity. And now he's in the role of a man. He's in the flesh. And yet they understood what he was talking about when he spoke about the Father. They were not blind like many of us are was the problem understanding the deity of Jesus Christ. It's not that he was God when he was in the flesh. You cannot be God in flesh at the same time. He took on himself the nature of man, nature of, you know, of a woman. Uh, that's why he didn't go around saying, I'm God, because he was not. He was directing them to God, to worship God, and God only. But nevertheless, since he came from God, he was the God of Israel, he was the rock of Israel, but at the time he's not in that capacity of a divine person, yet he was explaining to them where he came from and where he's going, and then they said what he was talking about when he said that he was the Son of God. And so they said, For blasphemy, and because you, being a man, make yourself God, which he did. You see, when you say you're the Son of God, that's what you're saying, you're God. And no problem understanding that. As many in our midst who are so confused, who lost their capacity and ability to see straight, and cannot see clearly anymore, and have this constant argument about who Jesus Christ is. And some say the Father is the one that came down and married Israel. 
And others say, well, there is only one God and Christ is not God. Of course, at the time when he was Christ in the flesh, he was not God. He was a man. But he was a man that was a deity. Going through a process of 33 and a half years of being a man, and then going back to his divinity, being again a deity. And the story is very simple. And the Jews understood it very plainly. And a person that comes in the name of God saying that he is the son of God, he is God. And that's what they told him that. Now, it would have been blasphemy if he wasn't. If he wasn't God. Even though he was flesh and blood. But he was. Only then he was not divine at the moment. And so they were not confused as carnal as they were. And uh, those in our midst who claim to be spiritual, they're as, as confused you know, as they can be. They don't understand that. And that's the state of the wife of God. Always in a turn, in a, in a, in a situation, in a state of confusion. And only the few, the wise, that understand. And so Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law? What does it mean in your law, in your Torah? And what Torah is he talking about? He's not talking about Moses. People think in the Torah is only Moses. He's speaking about the Psalms. Because Torah means body of teachings, instructions, wherever it is found, in Genesis or in Revelation or in between. That's called the Torah. That's called the doctrine of Christ. It's not a new terminology, doctrine of Christ. It's the Torah of Christ, which was and is and will be. It's a continuous process of revelation of his instructions and truth. And when people have resentment against the Torah, it's because they are ignorant and blind and poor and miserable and wretched and naked. They don't even understand basics. And that's what happened to the wives because of the false shepherds, the thieves and the robbers that came and destroyed that faith, that understanding that Israel had and perverted them. And they followed them. But then these are the this another genuine sheep of God, of Jesus Christ, of the husband of Israel. And so in verse thirty five, verse you know, thirty four he told them, it doesn't it say in your law, I said your God, your Elohim that is, that's a word that he used. Elohim. And if the translator was decent and honest, he should have translated Elohim instead of uh, small G, G O D S, Elohim. And people would have understood when they read it what he was talking about. In verse 35, if he called them Elohim, to whom the word of Elohim came, the same word, what pervert the scriptures? Well, that's because they are tares, not people of God. And the scripture cannot be broken. Do you say of him who, whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming? Because I said, I am the son of Elohim, which means I'm Elohim. Only now I'm in the flesh. You see, he made them understand, or try to make them understand. Look, what you're saying is unreasonable. If you are in that category of Elohim, why do you call me a blasphemer when I say that I'm the son of Elohim? And if I do not do the works of my father, do not believe in me. He didn't come to do his own works. He didn't come to bring his own religion. He didn't come to do away with the religion of the Father, so to speak, in the path that was given to Israel through him. He came to teach the same religion. He came to do the same works. And yet you see how many of us have that resentment against what we think is the old religion. Where did we get the spirit and attitude? Not from God, but from the Revelation 17 churches. Which means that we are still a part of it. That's the reason why we think that way and feel that way and have resentment against the Torah of God don't even understand what it means. 
That's why I said, if I do not do the works of my father, that's his religion. There's no Christianity here. Do not believe me. But if I do, though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. And he wasn't in them, but he was in him because he was his son. That is, he became his son. That is, he was a deity. Only now he's in the flesh. And the story was very plain, but they could not understand it. And many of us, or even uh, uh, supposedly to be people of God, don't understand it to this very day, as we should. And that's very tragic, when the word of God is very plain. And then let's go to... Uh, and actually, you know, the terminology that they use here, uh, just one more point, when he said uh, that it says in, uh, in your law, speaking by the Psalm, Psalm 82, verse 6, uh, you are Elohim. Uh, the first verse there, it says that Elohim stands in the congregation, and the word is Adat. Adat El, in the congregation of El. In other words, the people of God are the, the Edah. And this is what he's referring to here. That means the church of God. And if the church of God stands in the midst of the congregation of God, they are the church of God. They have always been the church of God. They are the church of God. They will always be the church of God, and there is no other one. There is nothing else. There is not new one. There is no putting down Israel and picking up the church. As some people say, when they read certain scriptures which seem to be different than what they should be, from their point of view, they say, oh, well, Israel is just a type of the church. That's how they appropriate what is Israel to a false entity that does not exist. And the one that does is a false one. Instead of understanding, you know, Israel is not a type of the church. Israel is the church. Israel is the Edom. Israel is the one that David said by the Holy Spirit is the Edom of God. That is, the church of God. Was, is, and will be. There is none else. All the others will be children. Not the body of witnesses. They're going to be witnessed to. They're not going to be the witnesses. And so, his own people, unfortunately, who should have known better, they did not as they should have. And then we read in uh, chapter 11, verse 49, where the high priest, who's supposed to be representing the God of Israel, the husband of Israel, high priest, blind and naked and poor and miserable and wretched, and what's new under the earth? And to this very day, we have many chief priests, so-called you know, new terminology, they have different names, we're still as blind, as ignorant, and naked as they were in the past. And the thing that they are the people of God, the thing that they do the will of God, just like Caiaphas and all the chief priests thought they were doing God a favor, doing the will of God. That's what they thought they were defending the religion, the faith. And so he said, in verse 49, And one of them, Caiaphas, being the high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you consider that it is expedient for us, for us, Experience, what a language, that one man should die for the people, and not that the whole nation should perish. That sounds reasonable to carnal-minded people. You know, let's get rid of one. Except the reality is, it was their husband. You do not kill the husband to save the wife. And yet they, they thought this is what was going to happen. And that's how far the wife can go from God, from truth, from knowledge and understanding. And that's why to this very day, with 
some members of his people, God says, unless you repent, I'm going to spew you out. And yet, a lot of people, because of their carnality, they want to spew out Christ. And many do, unfortunately. And they depart from him. And they go away. And they throw him out of their life. And that's exactly what they were doing here. And unfortunately, to this very day, there are those in our midst who are leading other people in that direction. To spew Jesus Christ out of their life. Getting to the point where even some of them call him a young smart Alec, you know, that came and thought that he was God and led people astray. And they still come in our midst and sit in our midst. And some of them even uh, publish comments that are printed in some of the magazines that supposedly people of God are publishing. And there is nothing new under the earth. And so this is what he's saying. Let's get rid of him. Let's get rid of the husband, even though he doesn't realize what he's talking about, so that the whole nation would not die. And not for that nation only, but also that he would gather, in other words, as a commentary later on, he would gather together in one the children of Elohim who were scattered abroad, speaking about the children of Israel all around the earth. That's in specific what he's talking about, and the one who writes it, speaking about John later on, when he writes it, this is what he's talking about. And people that really don't understand it, they think, oh, that's speaking about the church, made of all the nations of the earth. He's not speaking about that. He knows better. Speaking about the wife of God. Speaking about Israel. All the tribes of Israel, the lost sheep, all over the place. And also, the wild olive branches, a few of them that God has collected from here and there, because that's the method that he used from the beginning of time. And he has a purpose for doing that, too. And so they plotted to kill him. And how many of us, in our own actions, and our own attitudes, are doing it to this very day? And we continue now in chapter 12, uh, verse 12. And we read here, the next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast, speaking about the Passover here, and the last Passover, uh, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out. So you see, in contrast, leaders and their attitude and behavior and those who set themselves up as leaders, and they do it to this very day, in contrast to the people of God, the sheep of God, the genuine ones. And the story has always been the same. And so this is what we see many of the people of God at the time, children of, of, uh, of the church, of the wife of God, part of the wife of God. They took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hoshana, Hosanna in English. Hosanna doesn't mean anything. Hoshana means save us. His name was Yeshua. You see? You translate it to something totally different. You see what happens to, to children who do not know the faith and the truth. These are children of Israel who have translated that, who have departed from the days of Jeroboam, far away from God, and they think that they are the people of God. And unfortunately, they are confusing even in their own translation, the people of God. Hoshana, this is what they said. Save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Eternal, the King of Israel. They knew that he is the king of Israel, and the king of Israel is the eternal, who was sent by the other eternal, who is El Elyon, above all. And then Jesus, verse 14, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it, that's the one that he earlier told them to bring it over, 
as it is written. You see, you don't even need to tell them where, because people know. The people of God who knew the Word of God, because they've been raised from a child on the Scriptures, you don't need to tell them who said that and where was it said and what chapter and what verse. And today you have to tell them because a lot of people are so blind and ignorant and confused and they hardly even spend time with the Word of God as they should, that you need to always tell them what book, what chapter, what verse. And many of them don't even know what the book is. Is it in the old one? Is it in the new one? Verse 14, Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, said on it, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey, on a donkey's colt. In other words, uh, a little donkey. And he's speaking about the words of Zechariah that he's inspired a long time ago, about 500 years earlier. And Zechariah, he recorded that in chapter 9 and verse 9. And in verse 16, his disciples did not understand these things at first. That's how blind they were. After three years being with him, they still did not understand what was happening. See, this is what happened when the church was being misled by false prophets. Much understanding was being lost. Otherwise, it should have been remembered. Zechariah said that. And this is happening right now in front of our eyes. But later on, then they remembered that these things were written about him, and that is, <clears throat> but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered. That's when the Holy Spirit came and reminded them that these things were written about him, and that they had done these things to him. And that's a reality to this very day. When the servants of God, when the teachers of God, when the ministers of God, do not teach constantly the word instead of their own word and pontificate about their own subjects and their own intellectuality and you know, I want to expose their own intelligence to others so they can be regarded very highly instead of just reading the word of God and being inundated with it and filling the people of God with the knowledge of God not their own concepts and ideas so that people would know so when God does anything they all know and understand what's happening and that's unfortunately what was happening in those days. The rabbis were teaching less and less of the Torah and other prophets, even though they were reading it still faithfully in the synagogue. But after that, they were spending an awful lot of time speaking their own words, teaching their own law, their own halakha. And we're not different today. And that's why there are a lot of people today are still very deficient when it comes to biblical literacy. And that shouldn't be after so many years. And so, in, uh, if we continue here, uh, well, when we read Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, we're reading from uh, the Psalms, what David said, Psalm 119. And then uh, we read in uh, verses 38 and onward uh, that the word, speaking about again Christ coming before uh, his people in the temple, in verse 37 we read there, But although he had done so many things, so many signs before them, they did not believe in him. Faith was gone because obedience was not there as it should have been. And today that's the same story. People do not believe anymore many things he used to because they're not obedient. That's as simple as that. They're casting behind their back, you know, the word of God, the Torah of God. And verse 38, That the word of Isaiah, the prophet, might be fulfilled, which he spoke, Lord, who has believed our report? In Isaiah 53, and to whom has the arm of the eternal has been revealed? 
And to this very day, you can say the same thing. There are people who are losing the faith. And you can say the same words. Lord, O Eternal, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Eternal has been revealed? You see, many are going back into their own darkness out of which they came. And therefore they could not believe, verse 30, 39, because Isaiah again said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts. And it's happening again all over today. And it's been happening every generation to the people who have been casting the word of God behind their back. So when we do it, God hardens our heart, blinds our eyes. And lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts, and turn so that I should heal them. And hopefully that people in that condition are not totally gone, that they would come back when the time comes either through the tribulation or fire, whatever it may be. And verse 41, these things Isaiah said, when he saw his glory, the glory of the eternal who became Jesus Christ, and spoke of him. And the words are very plain. And in Isaiah 6, you read that about the glory of God. So it's quoting here from Isaiah 6, it's quoting from Isaiah 53, it's quoting from the prophets. And now let's continue in uh, chapter 17. There's an awful lot in between. And the people who are faithful to God should just pick up the book and read it word for word and begin to have a better understanding that we cannot cover everything. Well, I think at this point, even though we'd like to go further, we're going to stop here. We're reaching the end of the tape. So, greetings to all of God's people again. This is Mordecai Joseph. Until next time, where we will continue in in, uh, John chapter 17 with the last words of the husband to his wife before he died by the hands of his wife and the others. The other Gentiles that were there. Anyway, have a wonderful Sabbath. And until next time, again, this is Mordecai Joseph. The preceding message was taken from the World Wide Website at address www.biblestudy.org. This site is sponsored by Barnabas Ministries. Bible Study. You have questions? The Bible has answers.